Hello, and welcome to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. Hello, and welcome to another Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. I'm going to shake things up this this podcast and um, throw Julius off his game. I told him we weren't going to start with the NBA, but I know he has something to get off his chest. And since the play-in starts tomorrow, let's start with the NBA. Julius, what you got for us? As much as I'd love to start with the, I don't know, how many teams are still alive? 20? A.K.A. two-thirds of the NBA is still alive right now? I feel like I have to start with one of those other 10 that isn't in it. Because when you look at most of the teams that aren't in the in the play-in, at least, you have certain teams, most of them, who didn't plan to do anything this year, let's be honest. Uh, Rockets, Spurs, Pistons, those kind of teams, they've, they've been eyeing the number one pick all season long. So, you know, we know they weren't going to make it. Other teams had injuries and, and kind of gave up. You know, teams like the Hornets, seemed like the Pacers, teams that probably weren't going to do much anyway, but once they had their injuries, they just decided to let it go. Same with Portland, a team that wasn't going to do much, but once their their injury started stacking up, they let it go. But then there's one team that we talked about. A team that made a big move at the trade deadline and had championship aspirations. A team that was fairly close to a championship a year ago, but then decided this team doesn't have enough help for a superstar player, so let's basically tear it up to get another superstar. By now, I'm sure you know I'm talking about the Dallas Mavericks. And we talked about this, and we agreed that Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving, odd fit. They got off to a slow start. They both dealt with some minor injuries when they first got together, so it took them a while to get on the court together. But we felt like, okay, once these guys get a handful of games under their belt to mesh, when they first started playing together, they looked like they were playing hot potato at the end of games, trying to figure out who should do what, who should have what role to close out games. And we said, okay, they're going to figure this out as they have a little more experience together, as they get more comfortable playing with each other. But we did acknowledge this is an odd fit next to each other, two very ball-dominant players. Uh, two very offensive-minded players who aren't used to sharing with somebody who's equally as ball-dominant. So now we get here. And the one thing we did say is we expect the offense to be pretty solid. The concern was with the defense. And when you watch Dallas, the offense wasn't always great. And I'm at a point now. Keep in mind, the Mavericks, before they acquired Kyrie Irving, were fourth in the West and finished by giving up while still technically alive for the play. They pulled the plug. And my thing is this. There are people who want to tell you Luka Doncic is the next king of the league. You know, once the LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, once those players move out the way, once they age off and move on to the next phase in their lives. Luca is supposed to be the next one up. There are people who will tell you right now, 
Luka's a top five, maybe even higher player in the league. There are a lot of people right now who at the start of the season picked Luka Doncic as their preseason MVP. When do we hold Teflon Doncic to the standards of a superstar? Because he gets all the praise of a superstar. Everybody loves to step back three-pointers. Even if he goes three for 13 on threes, they're just going to show you the three that he made. Everybody loves the crossovers. Everybody loves the memes. Some of the memes I can't even repeat on this podcast. Everybody loves Luca. When does he get held accountable? To not be able to make the play-in. What other star player could miss the play-in entirely while being physically capable of finishing the season, by the way? and not get knocked for it. I just, I just want to know, why is it that people will tell you Luka is better than Kevin Durant? But if this was Kevin Durant, we wouldn't hear the end of it. People would tell you Luka is better than Kawhi Leonard right now. If Kawhi Leonard missed the playoffs completely, we'd never hear the end of it. People would tell you Luka is better than Anthony Davis right now. If Anthony Davis was on a team that missed the postseason, we'd never hear the end of it. When does Luka Doncic get held accountable? It's always somebody else's fault in Dallas. All that talk last year, he didn't have enough help. All that talk the year before, he didn't have enough help. Every time the help leaves and goes to another team, they tend to show up and show out. Wasn't a problem for Jalen Brunson to get in the playoffs this year. And I'll acknowledge Porzingis missed the playoffs, but Porzingis looked like the Porzingis we saw in New York. Spencer Dinwiddie's in the playoffs this year on a team that was supposed to be, according to most people when they made their trades, giving up in the Nets. They make the playoffs without the play-in with Spencer Dinwiddie playing a huge role. Actually getting a chance to touch the ball in Brooklyn. These guys all seem like a pretty good amount of help to me. So when do we hold Luka Doncic accountable? That is all I've been asking all season long, and especially down the stretch. And I tried to be patient when that trade first happened because I said there are certain players who you can integrate easily, like a Kevin Durant, or on a lesser scale, like a Josh Hart. There are certain players that you can just throw in because of their playing style. They don't need to dominate the ball, and you can say, hey, go play with anybody, and it's a comfortable fit. Other players... Yes, it's an adjustment. So I knew Kyrie Irving was one of those players. I tried to give grace. I tried to give him an opportunity to say, okay, let, let's give him a few games before we deem this a failure. We're at the end of the season now. There's, there's no more games left for Dallas to play. And by the way, Kyrie Irving can, can walk this summer if that's what he chooses to do. So at this point, I'm, I'm willing to say it's a failure. And at some point, you got to ask the question again, when is it his fault? Because it's always the help's fault in Dallas. Always the help's fault. With lesser players who are star players, it's their fault when the team's not doing well. Okay, when the Wizards don't make the playoffs and don't make the play in, you don't blame Denny Avia. You, know, you don't blame Monty Morris. You look at the star players and say, well, what's wrong with this mix of the best players on the team? What's wrong with Bradley Bill? What's wrong with Kyle Kuzma? How come these guys can't win together? 
Why is it with Dallas we're blaming fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth options? Options who, by the way, just didn't get an opportunity. I saw guys like Josh Green step up and be productive when Luka was out of the lineup and they were given an opportunity to play. I've seen somebody like Jaden Hardy do the same thing. And again, it may not be every single game, but they're showing you we can produce if we get to touch the ball, if we get to do more than just stand around the three-point line and watch you do everything. Christian Wood has a history of being a productive player. I'm not saying he's a superstar, but he should be doing more. He should be getting the ball more. When do we blame Teflon Donches? When do we talk about him being a guy who just chases stats? We've heard that about Russell Westbrook. We've heard that about James Harden at times. We've heard other players. When they were on the level that Luka is right now, we've heard that. Oh, they, they just care about stats. They're, they're not a winner. What proof do we have that Luka Doncic's playing style is a winning style? Absolutely none. And as far as I'm concerned, again, he's 23 years old. There, there's time for this to turn around. I'm not going to sit here and say at 23 years old, he's never going to win a championship. I'm not going to say that. But I am going to say, if you're going to elevate him, then I don't want to hear this, oh, he's young excuse. Because if he's, if he's young, that's fine. Don't elevate him. Don't put him on a pedestal. If, you're, if his age is going to be an excuse. Let's not do that. If you're going to tell me he doesn't deserve to be treated as a superstar as far as being held accountable, then I don't want to see superstar praise. All these people, you, you want them first team all NBA every year? At some point, you got to be able to win when your team gives you another all-star. Because that, now what is the next excuse? Everybody said the excuse was he wasn't, hey, didn't have an all-star teammate. Turns out you kind of did in Jalen Brunson. He should have been an all-star this year. But okay, technically Jalen Brunson's not an all-star. Spencer Dinwiddie's not an all-star. Chris Stopsports Inc. is not an all-star anymore, thanks in large part to Luka. Now we give you an all-star. And again, you go from 4th to 11th. You didn't start in 11th and then have to work your way up. You were in there with the no-help guys. The same no-help guys that got you to the Western Conference Finals last year. And you said that wasn't good enough. You got your all-star, and the season went in the tank. That's what happened. So we need to have a discussion, and I'm going to cut it off here because I could go off all night. But I just want people to say either Luca's not that guy yet or he is that guy, and let's treat him the way that you're supposed to treat that guy who can't get his team into the play-in when, again, 20 teams are in it. Well, Julius, I'm glad you were able to get all that off your chest. Um, I agree with you in the sense that it feels like Luka Doncic or Nikola, Nikola Jokic, there we go, uh, neither one of them really get slandered in the media, um, while others like a Harden, but obviously Harden has more years of playoff failures and uh, than Doncic does right now, but Doncic didn't even make the play-in where... Harden has made the playoffs every year of his career. So, um, you know, 
he, he's putting up stats and he's giving you everything that that people want to see, right? All these analytic people now want to see. Oh, he's giving you giving you points for game. He's giving you rebounds and triple doubles and assists and all this stuff. Um, but I remember when the Kyrie Irving trade happened. I remember on this podcast, I sat here and said their defense is going to be awful. They got rid of Dorian Finney-Smith, who was their best wing defender. I didn't like that move at all, and I remember saying that. They got rid of Dinwiddie, who could do pick and rolls and other things, you know, off of Doncic um, and and things of that nature, which would open up Doncic for easier shots or Dinwiddie. Um, But I said they're going to have to outscore people by a lot because their defense is going to be awful. So... At the time of the trade, the Mavericks had a 98% chance to make the playoffs. And they were <laughs> and they were tied for the league's second best odds to win the title. That was <laughs> after trading for Kyrie. They didn't the Dallas then went 9 and 18 after Kyrie first took the floor as a Maverick. 9 and 18. They had the 10th best offensive rating. But they had the 4th worst defensive rating. Now, Kyrie missed some games. I think he missed 7 or 8. And Doncic missed 8 or 9. Um, but the Mavericks were only 5 and 11. In the games in which they both played in. So, you know... And and Kyrie can create offense. We know this. We know he can score at will. But he, they don't play defense. And we already knew Doncic didn't really play defense. So, I mean, and then you get rid of your best defender in Dorian Finney-Smith. And, and you don't really have anyone else on Dallas that could play any type of defense. So... You know, I just don't, you know, I didn't like the fit when it happened, but I was willing to let it play out. It, it played out. And, and this is where we are now with them essentially conceding that they weren't going to make the play-ins. Um, Dallas might have more issues coming because NBA is investigating why some of their roster moves happened down the stretch. Um, but it... I never thought the fit would work when the trade happened. While we discussed this on the podcast, um, you know, I, I thought their defense would be really, really bad, and it was. Um, their offense was fine, but again, you can't be the tenth best offense. You need to be the first best offense if you're going to be the fourth worst defense. So, um, and that just that just didn't want to happen. Again, I know that Kyrie and Luca both missed time after the trade, and the injuries didn't help, but. You literally went from a 98% chance to make the playoffs to not even making a play-in game. So, um, it will be interesting to see what happens in Dallas. I do think, I don't think Kyrie's coming back. I don't think, I, I think more people are going to try to put the blame on Kyrie than, than, than it deserves to be because at this point, everyone should know who Kyrie is in his career. We've seen it on all of the teams he's been on since leaving Cleveland. So, I mean, I, to me, it's not a shock anymore about what happens when Kyrie gets to a team. And I'm not even talking, people say that he's a locker room cancer, blah, blah, blah. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about if you watch 
the offense after Kyrie gets there, the pace quickens. They get more possessions uh, because he quickens the pace, but the defense gets real loose and sloppy. Um, and that's just what happens uh, with Kyrie teams. So it wasn't a surprise to me that this happened. I did not think they would miss the playoffs, Julius. I didn't predict that. But I definitely said that their defense would take a major hit, and it did. The numbers back it up. Um, and so I'm interested to see what Dallas does this offseason. Again, they got rid of a great player with Dinwiddie. They got rid of Brunson in the offseason. They let him go. Um, and then they got rid of their best defender and Dorian Finney-Smith. So it'll be interesting now that Ky- the Kyrie experiment didn't work. Shocker. Um, it'll be interesting to see who they put around Luka uh, to see what they can try and feel out with this team. So, enough of talking about people in the lottery and uh, not making the play-ins. Let's talk about the play-ins since they start tomorrow, and then we'll talk about the rest of the playoff matchups and kind of we'll give some predictions of who we think might make the finals or kind of what happens from there. So, um, we'll might as well stay in the West since we're just talking about the Mavericks and the team that made the play-in over them, the Oklahoma City Thunder. That, 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 that applause is for Shy. Um, SGA, that's my guy. I've been hyping him up all year. Um, what a season to lose the number two overall pick in Chet um, and to still make a playing game. Um, just very impressive. And, and Shy, to me, should be an all NBA first teamer at guard, in my opinion. Uh, not only did he finish fourth in points per game in the league. Uh, he also finished in the top five for steals per game. So not only is he getting it done on the offensive end with points, and and he gets rebounds and assists as a guard, but and he's efficient. He was a very efficient scorer. And he's getting it done on the defensive end for you. So um, without him, Oklahoma City probably would have had the worst record in the league. Um, so I really hope he makes all-NBA first team. He's definitely going to make an all-NBA team for sure, and if he doesn't, that's a, that's a travesty. Um, but shout out to Oklahoma City Thunder for even making it to the play-ins, even if they don't make it past New Orleans. Uh, you know, it's just it's impressive that they even made the play-ins. Uh, you got New Orleans, so they're at ten. You got New Orleans at nine, um, which again injuries have hurt their season. Just you know, it, Zion. I don't know if he's ever going to play basketball. It's, it's it's always we're always talking about Zion when it comes to to injuries with New Orleans. Uh, you got Minnesota eight. The Lakers at seven, which what a turnaround for this for this team. Um, your boy though put on a uh, bet that they would outright win the title back when they were two and ten because the odds were were crazy. Uh, I'm definitely going to cash that out soon though. Uh, but so I saw it coming. I knew they'd make the playoffs at least or at least the play in. Um, so yeah, so you got Lakers uh, playing Minnesota to try to get the seventh seed. And then you got New Orleans and Oklahoma City Thunder trying to play the loser of the 7-8 game to see who can make the eighth seed. So, uh, Julius, I have the Lakers winning. Um, I just think they're on a roll right now. Um, They've played really good basketball even when LeBron was out. And then now LeBron's back. And uh, you kind of got the whole band back together. They seem healthy. You just never know, but they seem healthy right now. Uh, the team seems to be playing well. I think they're going to go through Minnesota, especially since Rudy Gobert won't be there because he's an idiot. Yeah. And um, and just punching your own teammate for no apparent reason. I mean, I don't know what was said, 
but you know, I just I don't know why you're punching your teammate in that situation. If you're going to punch him, at least do it in the locker room where it's not on national television. Um, so the Timberwolves suspended him for a game. So uh, so that's what's happening. But I just think the Lakers will beat the Timberwolves. I just want everyone to remember though. This is why Danny Ainge is a genius, and I know the Jazz didn't make uh, the playoffs, which we, again, predicted on this uh, podcast a few weeks ago when they were in the eighth spot. But um, the Timberwolves traded for Rudy Gobert. They gave the Jazz Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, uh, Leandro Balmero, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, Jared Jared Vanderbilt, (laughs) four first-round picks, and a 2026 first round pick swap. So this is why the Timberwolves organization is always bad. And this is why Danny Ainge is a great GM. Because he's about to make the Jazz the Celtics of the West, as I called at the beginning of the season. So, um, that, again, I just want to kind of do a little rewind for y'all. A little recap of me saying that the Jazz are going to be the Celtics of the, of the West sooner than later. Um, and that is just why some organizations just always stay bad. And some organizations might be down for a little bit, but they, they'll bounce back. So it always, ha- it always helps to have a Danny Ainge as your GM. But anyway, I have the Lakers beating the Timberwolves. Um, and I love the Thunder, and I love Shy. That's my guy. SGA is my guy. But uh, I think I'm going to have the Pelicans beating the Thunder to set up a Timberwolves-Pelicans for the eighth seed. Um and I like the Pelicans, man. I, I was high on them at the beginning of the season. I know Zion's not playing anymore, but if Ingram's healthy and McCollum and Valanchunas, I just like I just like the Pelicans. So I got the Pelicans getting the A seed, um, and I got the Lakers getting the seventh seed out in the West. Was it? Was it look like to you out there? I have to agree on the Lakers, and you know we talk about the turnaround that they had after the trade deadline and that's what everybody's looking at and everybody's saying, Oh, you know, you got rid of us of Westbrook and that's what turned the team around. They got this guy. They got that guy. Honestly, you know, I, I said at the time, I thought Malik Beasley would be a perfect fit on this team and he hasn't done a whole lot uh, on a consistent basis. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt has been kind of Jared Vanderbilt. He has his moments, but <clears throat> not necessarily con- consistent in his production. Uh, the main t- parts of the turnaround here are one, Anthony Davis's health. Okay, For, of all those who co- complain about Anthony Davis can't stay healthy, Anthony Davis is Mr. Glass. Anthony Davis is never out there. Anthony Davis has played in 29 of the last 31 games. That's better than most stars in the NBA can say. And he has seven straight games with multiple block shots. 16 straight games with at least nine rebounds. He's getting the job done. So Anthony Davis, who right now is the best player on the team. And that that's no disrespect to LeBron James legacy. We know who LeBron is all the time, but in year 20, it's okay to let somebody be a little bit better than you. Just a little bit. So with Anthony Davis being healthy, I've always said that that was the key to the Lakers all along. If Anthony Davis is on the court, this was going to be a solid team. And as far as I'm concerned, that was the number one thing. Now, what else has changed? One, D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell has been the one trade piece who has done his thing and then some. 
Uh, since coming to the Lakers, he's shooting 48% from the field and 41% on threes. That's ridiculous efficiency. And I talked about, you know, at the time he was traded, I said he was having a career year, you know, earlier this season with Minnesota. Another, another trade the Timberwolves shouldn't have made. <laughs> but, uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell is shooting even more efficiently with the Lakers than he was with the Timberwolves. And again, with the Timberwolves, he was having his best shooting season of his career. So he's just getting better and better. The issue with Russell is he's missed nine games since coming to the Lakers and another two games he left early due to injury. So D'Angelo Russell is actually the guy you think Anthony Davis is right now in terms of inconsistent availability. But if Russell's there, shoot like this, and Davis is playing the way he is, and the other guy I got to shout out is Austin Reeves. Okay, this last 28 games. Austin Reeves got injured and missed some time in early January, basically missed a month. Since he's been back from the hamstring injury, Austin Reeves is shooting 57% from the field and 45% on three-pointers over a 28-game sample size. That's a pretty large sample size to be shooting that high. And he's averaging 16 points a game over that stretch. So when you have Anthony Davis playing at this level, D'Angelo Russell being one of the most efficient shooting point guards in the league, and Austin Reeves being one of the absolute best shooters in the league regardless, regardless of position, you put all that around LeBron James, and you factor in that the Lakers average about six free throws more per game than their opponents. That's more than twice the differential than any other team in the NBA. You put all that together, <laughs> there are a lot of factors that make the Lakers look like a pretty dominant team. So when you combine that with the fact that, like you said, Rudy Gobert, thanks to punching his teammate on the bench, is out for this game. Combine that with the fact that Jaden McDaniels, who also wanted to punch something, but not a person, no, brick wall, now he's out for this game. The person you would normally use to replace Rudy Gobert is Nas Reed. He's out for the season due to injury. You have nothing left. You know who, who the Timberwolves could use with all those guys injured? They could use Walker Kessler, one of the guys Patrick named. The third best rookie in the league as far as I'm concerned this year. They're certainly the best shot blocker. You could, you could use him right now without Gobert and without Nas Reed. But you don't have him because you made a bad trade. So with all that out the way, there's absolutely nobody from Minnesota to guard Anthony Davis. And then Jaden McDaniels is one of the absolute best defensive players in the league. He's the guy that you would have put on LeBron James. He's out. I expect the Lakers to steamroll the Timberwolves in this game. Only big left really for the, for the Timberwolves is Carl Anthony Towns. And Towns has been, has been nice. Uh, he scored 30 points in his last game in the second leg of a back-to-back, -back, so that's a good sign for a guy that's missed the majority of season due to injury. Carl Anthony Towns is a, is a great outside shooter. Solid score, good passer for a big man. Carl Anthony Towns not shutting anybody down defensively. So it should be a field day for Anthony Davis. It should be a field day for LeBron James. It should be a field day for the Lakers. Uh, getting to Oklahoma City and New Orleans, like you said, shout out to Shea Gilgis Alexander. He's been one of my favorite players in the league since his Clipper days. I've just always loved his efficiency. I love the fact that he, like you said, he's a two-way player. Uh, he led the NBA 
in 30-point games this year. He had 45 30-point games, and that's despite the fact that he missed 14 games, so he could have easily had 50 30-point games had, you know, he not played in his load management era, and some of that was legitimate injury. He's, he's had illness, concussion. He's, he's had different things that he's worked through, but uh, even with all that, again, leads the league in 30-point games this year while doing it on extremely efficient shooting as normal, as normal for him. Uh, and then Jalen Williams. Now, again, there's two Jalen Williams on this team, so this is Jalen Williams number eight that I'm talking about as opposed to Jalen Williams number six. But uh, Jalen eight, same thing. Extremely efficient score. Very excellent two-way player. Does it on the defensive end as well as being efficient on the offensive end. So I like all that for the Thunders. It's a team that has a bright future. In fact, just, just one more thing about Luka Doncic, by the way. They keep saying, oh, he's too young. He's too young. He's 23 years old. Don't hold him accountable because he's 23. The average age of the Oklahoma City Thunder is 22.8 years old. So if a 23-year-old team can get in the playoffs, or at least a play-in, a 23-year-old superstar should be able to get in. Just wanted to throw that in there. The one concern I have about Oklahoma City is their best three scorers, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Jalen Williams, and throw Josh Giddy in there, who's a very, very nice, very nice point guard. By the way, all three of these guys are kind of interchangeable. They can all handle the ball, they can all initiate the offense some. Giddy's their best initiator, but they 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 got three guys who can kind of move all around and just trade roles with each other on offense. But those three players combined to make 207 threes this year, and they're all perimeter players. You have 14 players this year who by themselves made at least 207 threes this year. So when your best three scores are wing players, perimeter players, and they don't shoot threes very much, they're not great shooters, they're not volume shooters, you're relying a lot on those three getting in the paint because they also don't have a dominant scoring presence inside. So you're, you're counting a lot on mid-range offense and drives to the basket for your offense. It's not to say they don't have anybody on the team that can shoot. Uh, Isaiah Joe is a pretty good three-point shooter. Uh, Lugans Dort, sometimes, every now and then, it's this three ball will get a little hot, but uh, just not enough three-point production from their main players to play in this era, most likely. So that's something that might hold them back a little bit, or at the very least, it gives them less of a margin of error because we've seen how the three-pointer can pull teams back or lead to big-time runs the way the NBA is currently played. On the New Orleans side, Brandon Ingram, again, he's missed a lot of games this year. He's missed almost half the season with various injuries, toe issues, and all kinds of other things going on. But when he's been on the court, he's been amazing. Uh, his last 14 games, he's averaging over 28 points, over six rebounds and eight assists, shooting 51% from the field. Brandon Ingram has been as good offensively as just about anybody over the last three weeks or so of the season. Uh, you also throw in Kenneth Murphy the third, a.k.a. Trey Murphy. Uh, Murphy has 76 three-pointers since March 1st, only behind Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson during that stretch. So basically... He's the, he's the third spl Splash Brother if there was three Splash Brothers in the league. That, that's how good Trey Murphy has been since March 1st. And we talked you talked about Zion, Patrick. And um, because Zion is never available, a guy like Trey Murphy got to step into a much bigger role this year, and Trey Murphy has really shown his value for this team. But 
because you're missing Zion Williamson and you have a couple other pieces uh, not there. Uh, the depth is an issue for New Orleans. So that's my concern for them is once you get past the starting five, they've got a solid starting five. They've got a starting five that can score and contend with anybody offensive. But what happens when you need more than that? Uh, they don't play the bench a whole lot. Larry Nance Jr. gets a decent amount of run sometimes. Again, he's normally working himself back from an injury or something. Uh, but other than that, you don't see consistent playing time, consistent production. I like somebody like Jose Alvarado, but they don't, again, consistently give him a lot of playing time. So if this team has to go to their bench, what happens? This one is a tough matchup for me because I, I feel like New Orleans should win this, win this game. They should be able to punish Oklahoma City inside. This is a game I'd like to see Jonas Valanciunas really step up and take advantage of the fact that OKC really doesn't have that inside presence you'd like to see. Uh, at the same time, Oklahoma City has kind of defied, defied the odds all year long. Like I said, even get here without Chet Holmgren, who they had major plans for. Uh, this just speaks to just how resilient they are. And Oklahoma City might be that kind of team that's just too young to understand that they don't belong in there. So it's tempting to pick them. And I think I will. So I'll, I'll take the thunder in this game for, for an upset. That's a, not a bold, bold pick, but it's, it's something a little different. So that would put Minnesota and Oklahoma City in the second playing game, that game being in Minnesota uh, with them being the higher seed. Uh, Rudy Gobert would be back for that game. That's the game where I would think the inexperience would start to catch up a little bit with Oklahoma City. Uh, being that close, being on the doorstep of the postseason. Uh, Minnesota would get Rudy Gobert back, and I would think they would kind of patch some things out <laughs> after they get beat down by the Lakers. So I'm going to take Minnesota to win that game. So I'm going to have the Lakers get in as a seven seed and the Timberwolves get in as the eight behind the strength of the fact that the, the Timberwolves do have two legitimate star players in Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. And I would count on that duo to be able to find a way to win one of these playing games. Yeah, the biggest thing that concerns me with the Pelicans is they, they've been a slow starting team. And um, Oklahoma City, like you said, has defied the odds all year and they made the play-ins. Um, and they can score. Uh, they're one of the highest scoring teams in the league uh, at 117 points per game. So, um you know, I, I'm worried that New Orleans, if New Orleans starts off slow, they're going to find themselves in a hole that I don't think they can climb out of. But, um, again, Ingram, Valanciunas, and McCollum should be able to beat the young, young Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, and I do like Anthony Edwards. I just do not like Gobert and the Towns combo. I never have. I just don't think it works. Um And, yeah, I don't know. I've just I, I I've been high on the Pelicans all year, and they've kind of – not really panned out the way I thought they would. So I just, that's why I'm kind of just rolling with them. So it would not be good for me if the Thunder beat them uh, in, the, in the first first game as you have, as you have uh, happening. But I wouldn't be mad at it either because I like the Thunder. Uh, I like the core that they have. Uh, moving over to the Eastern Conference, um, you have the Bulls at the 10, the Raptors at the 9, the Hawks at the 8, the most mid team of all time. And the Miami Heat at the seven, which is just yikes, you know. Um, you, 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 you win your division, and you're and you're in the play-in. So it's just that, that, that does a lot. Wild times in the NBA. 
Um, and they didn't get a guaranteed spot because the Nets took a guaranteed spot from them, which is, we'll talk about that, which is just impressive. Um, so a few weeks ago, if y'all remember on one of our podcasts, I was, I was high on the Bulls. I just like the way that roster is built, and I feel like injuries and things have kind of derailed their season. They kind of got back on track um, near the end of the season. I, I, the roster, just on paper, is too good for me to think that they lose to the Raptors. Um, so I have the Bulls winning. I have the Heat beating the Hawks just because I think uh, you're going to get playoff Jimmy Butler um, and not regular season. I don't care. I'm going to take a picture with uh, some with a with some dreadlocks on and all these. I just think I think you're going to get playoff Jimmy time to time to show up Jimmy. And the Hawks have just been the Hawks. Like they just they've just been a mid team all year. Um. So the problem is the Heat can't score. The Hawks can score, but the Hawks don't play defense. And the Heat do play defense, so it's going to be. We're about to find out which which wins games in the playoffs, defense or offense. So um, we'll see if Bam and Jimmy can get it done. Uh, which Tyler Hero and 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 you know that Heat bench. What what who are you getting that shows up on this Heat team in that game? But I'm gonna have the Heat making the seven seed, and I'm gonna have the Bulls making the eight seed because again, I I just like that roster too much. Uh, out of the Raptors and the Hawks. I like the Bulls roster more with uh, Vucevic and DeRozan and Levine, uh, Caruso. Um, you know, you just got you got guys on that team that I feel like you know, they've added Patrick Beverly. Um, there's just guys on that team that I like a lot more, Patrick Williams, all those guys. I just like that roster a lot more than the Hawks and the Raptors. So for me, I got Heat making the seven, and I got the Bulls making the eight. Um what do you what what was the Eastern Conference play in look like to you? So yeah, you just you kind of said the magic words for me when it comes to the seven eight matchup, and that that's playoff Jimmy. That that's what I'm kind of putting my faith in here. Uh, when you look at Miami, like you said, their their offense is is a disaster. They have the second slowest offensive pace in the league and the sixth worst offensive efficiency rate, which means they play slow, and their possessions that they do get, they usually don't make them count. So uh, that's how you end up being the lowest scoring team in the NBA, when you play at a slow pace and you play inefficient basketball. There are major concerns with this team. They brought in Kevin Love because they needed another big man who could score. They needed a big man who could stretch the floor and shoot from the outside. Kevin Love, since joining the Miami Heat, is shooting under 30% from three-point range. At this stage of Kevin Love's career, this isn't the Kevin Love that would get you 13 rebounds a game. This stage of Kevin Love's career, if he's not making threes, he has absolutely zero value to your team. So you have that going on. You also have Kyle Lowry struggling. Kyle Lowry has missed 18 of the last 34 games. And in the last couple of years, he's missed a lot of games with personal issues. So I don't know what's going on there. But when he's been on the feet, on the court, he's shooting 38% from the field over the 16 games he has played in out of the last 34. So a lot of inefficient shooting going on with Miami. And again, it's, it's, it's tough because. This is a team that, that you know is tough, 
You know it's playoff tested for the most part, but their offense is just so painful that it's it creates a low ceiling for them. But meanwhile, you have the Hawks. Like you said, as many as it gets, if they win one game, you, y'all, you can guarantee they're going to lose the next one. That's just how they've been all season long. They were that way with Nate McMillan. They're that way with Quinn Snyder. One of the issues for the Hawks, and there's, there's a few issues, but one of the issues with the Hawks is Trey Young. And the last couple games illustrate what, what I'm about to talk about here. In the last two games, Trey Young has 36 assists. That's amazing over a two-game stretch to have 36 assists. But also 13 turnovers. So you're seeing a lot of amazing plays out of him, but you're seeing a lot of recklessness. Now, if we extend that sample size out over the last 10 games, Trey Young is shooting 37% from the field. He's shooting 30% from three. And he's averaging four and a half turnovers a game. We know Trey Young's a better shooter than that. We know he's better than 37% from the field. We know he's way better than 30% from three. But again, when you you look at his bad shooting, all these turnovers, it's indicative of just how reckless he's been. And, you know, in the offseason, we talked about some of these trades. We talked about how Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns was an awkward fit. We also talked about how Trey Young and DeJounte Murray felt like an awkward fit. So we didn't know what these teams were doing in the offseason with these trades. They were just kind of making NBA 2K type trades. You brought in DeJounte Murray to take some of the playmaking burden off of Trey Young. So it's almost a bad sign that Trey Young is averaging 18 assists the last couple of games he's played because that defeats the purpose of having DeJounte Murray. You wanted to take some of the load off so you could have Trey Young play more efficient basketball so you could have him not be among the turnover leaders over any period of time. But that's what you're getting out of Young. You're getting a guy who's putting too much of a burden on himself, not letting another guy who knows how to run an offense help you out some. And until I see that from Atlanta, it's hard for me to pick them. So due in large part to that sloppy play, I'm going to take Miami to beat Atlanta, get that seven seed. I'm going to believe in playoff Jimmy over playoff Trey, and I'm going to take Miami to get that seven spot. Going over to Chicago and Toronto, Toronto has been an odd team this year. I, I would remind people, as, as I do every chance I get, People thought that Nick Nurse was the difference when they fired Dwayne Casey and they brought in Nick Nurse and they immediately won a championship. Oh, oh, because Nick Nurse is such a genius. It wasn't, it wasn't because of Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard is just a system player. Okay, how, how the Raptors have they done since uh, Kawhi Leonard left? How, how's that Nick Nurse system working? Look at where the Raptors are every year since then. With that aside, Raptors did have to deal with a lot of injuries this year. It seemed like whenever one guy went in, another guy went out. They seem to be getting healthier at the right time, even though Gary Trent Jr. has been dealing with an elbow issue and he's missed a lot of games lately. But you have OG Ananobi, who's been back and playing. Fred Van Vliet's been healthier over the second half of the season. So you're starting to get guys back. And the Raptors this year had 13 more wins at home than they did on the road. That is the largest differential in the Eastern Conference. That's night and day when Toronto's at home and when Toronto's on the road. 
So you combine that this game's at home with the fact that they're getting healthier. I actually like the Raptors in this game. The Bulls, they're going to need an X factor to step up. We have a general idea of what we're going to get out of Zach Levine. We have a general idea of what we're going to get out of DeMar DeRozan. Even though DeRozan has had some rough experiences in uh, Toronto in the playoffs at times. Just saying. We generally know we're going to get an 18-10 type of performance from Vucevic. Who's going to step up and be that extra guy? The guy I'm looking at is Kobe White. Kobe White, his last 15 games, he's averaging 13.6 points a game. That's four points higher than his regular season average. He's shooting 52% from the field and 44% on three. So a very efficient run for Kobe White over the last about four or five weeks. That's not consistently been Kobe White over his career, but he's as hot as he's been all year right now. So if the Bulls have a chance to win this game, it's going to take Kobe White, in my opinion, Kobe White's going to have to score about 20 points in this game. And it's going to have to be one of those games where he scores 20 points on like 8 for 11, 8 for 12 kind of shoot. I think that's the one chance Chicago has. Otherwise, I'm picking the Raptors to defend the North and move on to play Atlanta in the second playing game. And then you get Toronto, Atlanta. Again, Atlanta. You know, I, I, I want to pick them, but because again, they'll be at home in this game, and Toronto has struggled on the road this year. So that that's my hesitancy here. But Atlanta, like you said, they've been so mid, so up and down. Again, I think Trey Young's pressing too much. They're not getting enough out of their wing players, as far as I'm concerned. Somebody like Bogdan Bogdanovich just has not been enough of a factor the second half of the season, as, as far as I'm concerned. And I don't know if, if that's health-related or if he's just in a slump. But I just think there's too many players they're not getting enough out of on a consistent basis. Somebody like DeAndre Hunter I like, but he's not he's not there. He's not a big impact player on a game-to-game -game basis. So I'm looking at Toronto. I'm looking at a team that might be picking up just a tad bit of momentum versus a Hawks team that can't find momentum one way or the other, good or bad. I am going to hesitantly pick the Raptors to actually come through on a road game and win this. So to recap this, I have the Heat locking down the seven seed and the Raptors winning two games to lock down the eight seed for the playoffs. I don't like any of your reasonings for your nine, 10 games. You use one reasoning and then in your seven, eight matchup, you go completely against that reasoning as to why you're picking the team to win the first game. I don't like what, it. What reasoning did I go against? You, for, for the Hawks, you were like... <laughs> Oh man, you're hilarious. So for the Hawks, you were you're like you're like no for the Raptors, like they're really bad on the road, but they're really good at home. They, so I'll pick are. them. But you know what? I'm gonna pick them against Atlanta. But if Atlanta loses to Miami, they'd be 41 and 42. So for them to be a mid team, they would have to beat the Raptors to get the eight seed at 42 and 42. And then the Raptors would be losing on the road. So you go against your own reasoning of they're a oh, bad no, road no, team. No, no, not, not, not at all. So my, my reasoning. <laughs> so so again, I, I'm, I'm acknowledging that the Raptors aren't good on the road. At the same time, I've also said part of that is because they've had a lot of injuries this year. But I'm saying Atlanta being such a mid-team, it takes a mid-team to lose at home to the Raptors. <laughs> All right, I'll, so I'll allow it. I don't think it's going to be great Raptors basketball. 
I think it's going to be a mid-Atlanta team underachieving as they've done all year. Because Atlanta was not, when they made that trade for DeJounte Murray, that they didn't do that to be mid. So this is an underachieving Atlanta team that's playing really sloppy basketball going up against a Raptors team that, again, to me, is healthier than they've been all year. So I'm giving them a higher ceiling than, than, that, than I did when a Van Vliet was out or when an Ananobi was out. They've got their guys back, so there's less of an excuse for the Raptors. That said, I don't expect the Raptors to play great, as assuming they do go on to face Atlanta. I expect more bad Hawks than good Raptors. All right. I like that. I like that reasoning because the Hawks suck. So I like it. I like that. I'm fine with that. <laughs> Shouldn't have got rid of Herder, you jerks. <laughs> see, see? see that, that's why I brought up Bogdanovich because he's, he's not, not filling in the way Herder would. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 um, it's really hard. So I was high on the Bulls. Not, I wasn't, I didn't think they'd be a top four seed in the East or anything, but I was high on them coming into the season and they just have underperformed as well. So I feel like anyone in the eight, nine, and 10 slot can win any of those games against each other. That's just how they've gone, right? That's just how they've been all season. Um, I, you and I talked about this when the Murray and, and, and Trey, when the Murray trade happened, obviously, since you're a Spurs fan, and we were just stretch, scratching our heads going, why? For the Hawks, right? Like, why? It doesn't. And I'm still, I'm still sitting here saying why. You got the, you got the play in at 41 and 41. It still just doesn't make any sense. And we talked about this when it happened. And shocker, it wasn't Nate McMillan's fault. So, um, <laughs> just like it wasn't his fault with Portland or Indiana when they got rid of him, not his fault in Atlanta either. So, sorry, Nate. Sorry that you get canned at all these jobs that that they for no apparent reason. So, um. All right, let's stay in the East, Julius, and let's go through uh, the rest of the the seeding and kind of how it sh- how it shaked out. So we have Milwaukee as the one seed, which I don't think that's a shock to anybody. Uh, going into the season, I thought it could be between them, Boston, and Philly, and that's pretty much how it ended up. Uh, you got Milwaukee at one, Boston at the two, Philadelphia at the three, Cleveland at the four, the Knicks at the five, and the Nets at the six. So... Um, Whoever Milwaukee gets, Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago, Miami. Um, again, the way I have it shaking out would be Miami and Chicago. I think Milwaukee is going to sweep or gentleman sweep. So there's going to be a 4-0, 4-1 series, in my opinion, um, for any of those teams. And, and again, if if it is the Heat for some reason, and if it happens to be the Heat in the eighth spot, um, I would give the Heat one or two games just because I respect Jimmy Butler that much. Um, but Milwaukee is just a engine of a team especially at home um and Giannis is one of the best players if not the best player in the NBA so uh, again whoever they play at the eight seed again I have it being the Bulls uh I think they sweep or gentlemen sweep 4-1 uh whoever they play um Boston again I have them playing the Heat which I think is going to be a tough matchup for Boston uh, I just think the Heat play Boston well um so I have I have Boston winning that series, though, and uh, I'll have it 4-2. Then you have Philly playing the Nets. I have that a sweep. I I just don't think the Nets have enough um, to compete with Embiid uh, on the inside. Um, But um, it is Philly, so you could get a bad playoff game from Embiid and Harden at the same time, and and Brooklyn could sneak one. Uh, But I think that's going to be a sweep. 4-0. 4-0. And then you got Cleveland at New York, which is probably my most intriguing uh, matchup uh, for the Eastern Conference in the first round. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, I like Cleveland a lot. Again, I think I think the Donovan Mitchell trade. Again, I thought they were like one or two years away last year with their core, and then and then getting Donovan Mitchell, I was like, oh, that accelerated that, and now they're the four seed. Um, and I, I like that team a lot. I do respect Jalen Brunson and and Julius Randle, but uh, I like Cleveland's roster a lot more. I think it's going to be a tough series, though. Um, and I and I'm going to have just because Cleveland's the home team, I'll have them winning it. I could easily see this going seven games. Uh, I'm going to say four two to Cleveland, though. I think Cleveland wins the first two, maybe sneaks one out in New York. Uh, and then just could win, could win four two. So, um, so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to go four two to Cleveland on on the on that one. Um, again, not too much analysis coming out of the first round for me. Uh, I think I think the top half of the Eastern Conference one through four is just so much better than the bottom half of this conference. Um, I don't think there really needs to be much analysis. But again, you got. Chris Milton's healthy. You got Giannis, Milton, Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday's been playing amazing this year. If people don't know who Drew Holiday is, he's probably one of the best two-way guards in the league still. He was with New Orleans. He has been with Milwaukee. Um, And if you have him playing at the high level that he's been playing at with Giannis, Milwaukee's going to be a hard team to beat with any team that they play. Uh, Boston, uh, Jalen Brown, I know he has the face mask on, but he's getting healthier. Uh, You got Brown and Tatum. Uh, you have a super deep team with their bench, and you still got Marcus Smart. Um, you got Derek White, and you got Horford, uh, Mike Muscala. What's up, baby? I know you're gonna make a play for me in the playoffs. I called it when it <laughs> happened, um, but no, that team is just deep. Uh, Celtics are again another good team, uh, and then again Philly. You got you got Embiid and Harden are the number one two, but you got Maxi who can go off at any moment. Uh, Tobias Harris normally gets you. 10 and 10 or at least around a double double and can make it happen. Um, Jimmy Butler will look better in that 76ers uniform than Tobias Harris. Am I right? Um, and then you got, you know, PJ Tucker, he will just play, do the dirty work for you in the playoffs. Um, and that team has a decent bench. You've got three guys that can come off the bench and, and do work for you. And then again, Cleveland, you got Allen, uh, Mobley, you got Mitchell, you got Garland. That team is just nice. I like the Cleveland Cavaliers a lot. Um, you got Rubio coming off the bench to give you know Garland and, and Mitchell some so someone who can handle the ball coming off the bench. So again, I just think the top four teams in the East are just way better than the bottom half of the East. You know, five through ten. So um, I expect it to be chalk in the East. I just think that those teams are head and shoulders above their competition. Again, the only one that really concerns me is the Cavaliers, Knicks, and just because the Cavs are a young team and Mitchell hasn't had great playoff experience with the Jazz, so. That would be the only one that concerns me is the Cavaliers versus Knicks. But, um, again, I just think one, two, and three are way better than everybody else, and I think the Cavaliers will beat the Knicks. And that last point you made, I I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, I think it's the big three in the East, the three teams we thought it would be, and then everybody else. I think there's a massive gap. And I, I'm even throwing Cleveland in as part of the – team that's behind there's just a massive gap between the bucks celtics sixers and the rest of the eastern conference so looking at milwaukee Giannis Antetokounmpo, another mvp caliber season he may not win and probably shouldn't win because he didn't miss about 19 games this year so i'm not going to shed a tear if he doesn't win but 
Again, another MVP on a per-game basis, certainly MVP caliber performance. When Giannis has been out and Holiday has been in, and a lot of times a lot of them have been out together because of all the load management, but when Giannis has been out, Holiday's been in, Holiday's averaging over 22 points, five rebounds, and nine and a half assists on 51% shooting. So Holiday turns into a number one basically anytime the Bucks need him to. So when you have an MVP, then you have another guy who is playing number one caliber you know, on the offensive end, then like you said, still giving you excellent defensive production. That's a great start. Now throw in Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez is 35 years old, just recently turned 35, so happy belated birthday. 35 years old, only played in 13 games last year because of back surgery. You are not supposed to be 35 years old coming off of back surgery and having one of your best seasons ever. Brooke Lopez this year, this is his best scoring season in his last six years. It's his best rebounding season in the last seven years. He's averaging a career high in blocks. And he's having his best season in three-point percentage. Again, at 35, coming off of back surgery, one of his best seasons of his career. They gave him that bionic back. <laughs> they, they gave him the back he needed. <laughs> it's, not, it's not even the first back surgery he's had in his career going back to college. So this time around, whoever did that back surgery deserves a massive bonus. <laughs> they, they gave him the right back. <laughs> so if Lopez is going to play at that level, combined with Giannis, combined with Holiday, this team is as close to a machine as there is in basketball right now, as far as I'm concerned. The Bucs are 25-8 and eight when Chris Middleton plays. Now, that tells you a couple things. One, Chris Middleton's missed a lot of games this year, the majority of the season with wrist and knee issues. But it also tells you that they haven't needed a whole lot out of Middleton. They just need him to kind of be there. Because when Middleton's there, he just plays his role. And that puts everybody else in the roles they're most comfortable in. You don't have to count on Grayson Allen as much. You don't have to count on Pat Connaughton or Joe Ingles or these guys as much when Middleton is there. The concern for me, the one concern for me, is that in the last four games of the season, Chris Middleton played eight total minutes. He just has not been able to stay healthy all year. And I don't know if Chris Middleton's knee will allow him to get through the postseason. That is my one concern with Milwaukee. Other than that, to me, they're hands down the best team. I think whoever they get in the first round is a sweep. I'm not even giving gentlemen sweep. Four all. Whoever Milwaukee plays in the first round, that's what I'm calling that. But as the playoffs scoot along, at some point, you're going to need a halfway healthy Chris Middleton. Or at least I'd like to see that. Again, Milwaukee's pretty good without Chris Middleton. So it's not a massive concern, but it is a legit concern for me. Uh, Boston, again, they play the winner of the 7-8 game. You and I think it's going to be Miami, and that is going to be a tougher series. The couple concerns I have with Boston, one, and it's unfortunately we seem to say this every postseason, the health of Robert Williams III. Yeah. The Celtics don't have a replacement for him. They just don't. So... They need him. Robert Williams III has missed 11 of the last 19 games. 
And in the games he has played in, he's only averaging about 20 minutes a game, which is down for his overall season average. So I'm concerned he has to be managed to this extent just to make it to the end of the season. And Boston is not at their best when Robert Williams III is not out there. You can have Al Horford, you can have Grant Williams. None of these guys protect the rim the way Robert Williams does. None of those guys control the boards the way Robert Williams can. So I'm closely monitoring how Williams is looking, how he's moving around. If he's healthy, Boston's got a great start lineup. If he's not healthy, Boston's still deep. But there's just not another Robert Williams anywhere on that roster. My other concern is Jalen Brown. He missed the last couple of games with a lacerated finger on his shooting hand from, I guess, picking up a shattered base because that's a smart thing to do. I don't think it matters in the first round because, again, like, like you and I talked about, the, the big three in the East is just that much better. So even a compromise, Jalen Brown's going to be good enough to get out of the first round for Boston. But if that cut, and I don't, I don't know anything about how deep it is or – where exactly it is on his finger, I don't know how much it's going to affect his shooting, if at all. If it does affect his shooting and it's something that lingers throughout the postseason, that gives me cause to pause for the Celtics once the competition ramps up beyond the first round. But in the first round, if it's Boston-Miami, I think that's a 4-1 kind of series. I think Boston kind of puts that away quickly, understanding that starting in the second round, the competition is going to turn up in a hurry. Which brings me to Philadelphia and Brooklyn. Now, since March 1st, the 76ers lead the NBA in field goal percentage and they're second in free throw percentage. So you can't put them on the line and they're as efficient from the field as anybody. And a lot of that has to do with Joel Embiid, who just won his second consecutive scoring title. Congratulations to you on having the highest scoring average in the league. And of course, you got James Harden. Second career assist title, most assists per game in the league. So we've talked about duos not working. Luca Kyrie, Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, Trey Young, DeJounte Burry. All we talk about these awkward fits. And Beaton Harden, not an awkward fit at all. They blend in together very nicely. Now my thing is this. How fun would this series be if Ben Simmons cared about basketball? That, that's the one frustrating part of this series for me. I would have loved to see a series where Ben Simmons was going back and playing games in Philadelphia with everything on the line. I would love to see how the crowd treated him for a postseason series. We saw how they treated Ben Simmons in the regular season when he came back. I would have loved to see them get their chance to really go at him in the playoffs and see how he responded. But unfortunately, Ben Simmons does not care about basketball. I don't like to just say that about players but to me it's painfully obvious with Ben Simmons so that takes some shine off this series I think this would be a pretty intriguing series if Simmons was playing and if his head and heart was in it but uh, without that I think Philadelphia has a major advantage I do want to shout out Michael Bridges unofficially Michael Bridges is my MVP and I, I know it's down to Embiid and Jokic and Giannis and Embiid's more than likely going to win it my personal MVP is Michael Bridges. In an era of load management, Michael Bridges played 83 games this year, above perfect attendance, and averaged 36 minutes a game. Load management where? And 
Since Michael Bridges joined the Nets, he scored 706 points. That's only behind Joel Embiid. So since Michael Bridges got to Brooklyn, he is second in the NBA in total points. That's how good he's been, while still being one of the better two-way wing players you'll see. Michael Bridges has proven he's a true leader. To have that kind of production and to lead a team. This next team was supposed to collapse when they traded away Durant and Irving. And this team made the playoffs without needing to play. That says everything you need to know about Michael Bridges. So he's my personal MVP. If I had a vote, that's where my vote would go. And yes, it would be a wasted vote, but I don't care. I'd be making a statement with mine. That said, Philadelphia's going to win this series. Again, because I am so impressed by Michael Bridges, I'm not going to say it's a sweep. I'm going to say 4-1. But again, I, I, I would have loved to see in the series if Ben Simmons cared about basketball. And last but not least, we get to Cleveland versus New York. Again, by far, by far the most intriguing series in the East in the first round, uh, just because it's the only series that, to me, is a fair fight. The one thing that kind of hangs over this series, Julius Randle, who was another Iron Man this year, unfortunately did sprain his ankle towards the end of the season. He missed the last five games. He's supposed to be reevaluated sometime this week. I have no idea whether or not Julius Randle will be available for this series. Then you also have Jalen Brunson. We've talked about Jalen Brunson plenty already, but uh, Brunson has missed 10 of the last 17 games with foot and hand issues. So you have concerns with the Knicks' two best players. That said, I'm pretty sure it looks like Jalen Brunson is going to be back. Again, I don't know about Randall, but I will say Obi Toppin has played pretty well in his absence. He's not close to the same style as Julius Randle, but in some ways I think that helps because it helps move, helps the ball move more. The ball kind of sticks with Julius Randle, and that's why the Knicks are 30th out of 30 teams in offensive pace. They play a little faster and a little looser on offense when Julius Randle is out. I'm not saying they're better without him. It's just a different style of basketball. By the way, the Cavaliers are tied for 25th in offensive pace. So when you can when you factor that in, if you're going to bet on this series, you might want to bet on a couple of unders. These are two of the slower teams you're going to see as far as offensive pace goes. Two very deliberate teams, especially if Randall gets back. But in the absence of Randall and Brunson for, for a, lot, a lot of the end of the year, we've seen Knicks players step up. Quentin Grimes in his last nine games is averaging 22 points a game on a ridiculous 54% shooting. I, um, Emmanuel quickly, his last nine games, that same stretch, is averaging about 25 points a game on 47% shooting. So quickly and Grimes all of a sudden have shown you when the star players are out or in and out of the lineup, they're averaging almost 47 a game together. And to me, that's going to be huge going into the postseason because now you've got those two guys' confidence going. And you're going to need more than Brunson and Randall uh, when you talk about scoring and beating the Cavaliers. Again, Donovan Mitchell, we've seen what he can do. He's shown he can score 71 in a game. So you're going to need to be able to score. Even though Cleveland plays at a deliberate pace on offense, they've got guys who can score. Darius Garland can definitely score. Uh, Evan Mobley at times can get high to score. So you, you got guys that can put points on the board for Cleveland. But the Knicks, now that they're showing, they've got guys beyond Randall and Brunson. And you're going to need other guys because R.J. Barrett, to me, is a pretty inefficient kind of score. 
He's he's been better with his efficiency, but there's still room for improvement there. That said, I like that these young guys are getting this confidence, getting this experience. And again, one of the players I highlighted at the trade deadline, when we talked about under the radar, under the radar players that got traded. There were two players I talked about. The other one I'll talk about a little later. But Josh Hart was one of those guys I said, watch out for him at the trade deadline because he fits in seamlessly with any team. He's a versatile defender. He's a hustle player. He'll go get you seven or eight rebounds a game just off hustle. And he can knock down open shots if you give him the chance with the occasional breakout of a 20, 22 kind of 22 point kind of performance. So with all that said, and the fact that I think for the games that are in New York, and again, Cleveland has the home court advantage for the series, but for the games in New York, I think they'll have a bigger home court advantage. I think the New York fans are going to be more wild and ready to go than the Cleveland fans are. So I think it's going to be harder for Cleveland to win on the road than New York. I think New York could steal one game in Cleveland in this series, and if they can do that, they can pull this series off. So I'm going to go with the slight upset and take the Knicks to knock off the Cavaliers in this series. All right, now we're going to slide over to the Western Conference. So in the West, we have the Denver Nuggets as the number one seed. And I'll, I'll say this. In the Western Conference, it's been different in the East over the last decade or so. In the Western Conference, I don't know how many times we've seen a number one seed where it feels like almost nobody is picking them as far as winning the Western Conference. But I feel like that's where we are with Denver. And Denver is a team that even though they've got the one seed, they, they count a lot on home court to help them be a good team. And I'm, I'm a little concerned that they're not a little better on the road than they are. My other concern with Denver is Nikola Jokic has missed five of the last seven games. Now, some of that might be rest and load management, but he's been on and off the injury report for a good while now with calf tightness. And it's one thing if you sit out one game because of calf tightness, you can kind of chalk that up to maybe that's some load management. When you start missing two and three games at a time, that makes me think there's a little something more to it. And if Jokic is compromised in any way, you're talking about a Nuggets team that's five and eight when Nikola Jokic doesn't play. So I have concerns. If that calf starts to act up, if that's a legitimate injury and it impairs Jokic in any way, because like I said, he missed five of the last seven, but even when he's played, he hasn't been close to his normal level of production. So I'm very concerned about Jokic and how this team will respond if Jokic isn't the best player on the court. The other thing with Denver is, while other teams in the West got better at the trade deadline, Phoenix, obviously, they got Kevin Durant. Memphis made some moves. Again, I'll get into them later. The Lakers, obviously. <laughs> you know, everybody's praising what they did at the trade deadline. And the Clippers. Whether you want to accept it or not, the Clippers got better at the trade deadline. What did Denver do? Denver got Reggie Jackson, and they got Thomas Bryant. Those two guys have had no impact in Denver. So while other teams are getting better, the teams who have trailed the Nuggets in the standings for the majority of the season, the Nuggets haven't gotten better. 
and they're going to have to rely on the same guys they had to rely on all season long. And I think eventually that's going to catch up with them. Don't know if that's going to be the case in the first round, though. I think the Nuggets will have enough certainly to get out of the first round, especially assuming that they avoid the Lakers in the first round. If they play the Timberwolves, I think the Nuggets will beat them. But that's just something to keep an eye on, especially with the West not having the same type of separation that we talked about with the Eastern teams. There's not a massive difference between the number one team in the West and the number seven team. So, uh, yeah, this is something to keep an eye on with Denver. Again, I've got them winning in the first round. If they play a team like Minnesota, I think that's a series that Denver can wrap up in six games. But when you get beyond that, it could get ugly in a hurry for the Nuggets, especially if Jokic is compromised at all. Moving on to the two seed, the Memphis Grizzlies. This is a team that has the best home record in the NBA, 35-6. and six. I was a little surprised when I saw that, but... Uh, Memphis, definitely another team that takes advantage at home. You like to, Again, you'd like to see them be a little better on the road, uh, but they've shown that they can defend home court, if nothing else. Their X factor is going to be Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks is going to get playing time and a lot of playing time because Dylan Brooks, again, you don't have to like him. A lot of people don't like him. He gets on a lot of people's nerves, and he knows it, and he loves that he gets on people's nerves. But Dylan Brooks is the X factor because I've talked about how Dylan Brooks, the only person that doesn't know that Dylan Brooks can't shoot. But in the last 10 games, Dylan Brooks has shot and shot well. Last 10 games, Dylan Brooks is averaging 15 points on 45% shooting. He's under 40% from the field for the season. And Dylan Brooks, again, in the last 10 games, is shooting 37.5% on threes. If Brooks can shoot anything close to those percentages in the playoffs, you're talking about a whole different type of ceiling. Memphis because we know we're going to get out of Jabba Rant. We know we're going to get out of Desmond Bain. We know we're going to get out of Jaron Jackson Jr. if he can just avoid the stupid fouls. They need him on the court. You know, keep in mind, no Steven Adams, no Brandon Clark. You do not have the depth up front. So Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to have to manage to stay on the floor for, I think, 38 to 40 minutes a game. And that's that means you have to avoid foul trouble. There's people that saw Kenneth Lofton Jr. yesterday put up 42 and 14, and they, they'll think he's ready. I do not think he's ready to face actual NBA players. He can show he can put up 42 and 14 against a team that's not trying, against a team that's not putting NBA players out on the court. I don't think he's ready to do that against in you know, legitimate NBA level competition, nor do I think he can defend at the NBA level. So I think a lot of it is on Jaron Jackson Jr. He has to stay out of foul trouble. But if he does, we know we're going to get out of him. We know we're going to, like, like I said, you know what you're going to get out of Morant, know what you're going to get out of Bain, know what you're going to get out of Jackson as long as he's on the court. Dylan Brooks is the guy you don't know. But if he can do this, if he can shoot the way he shot over the last 10 games, Memphis becomes a very intriguing team. Now, I mentioned that I singled out two players who were under the radar players at the trade deadline. One was Josh Hart. The other, Luke Kennard. I said at the time uh, that they traded him, I did not understand why the Clippers, who could use a spot-up shooter, would trade away a guy who's been one of the absolute best three-point shooters in the league over the last two or three years. Since Luke Kennard got to Memphis, so that's 24 games with the Grizzlies, Luke Kennard is shooting 54% on threes. If he shoots a three, he's more likely to make it than miss it. That's pretty darn good. And with the players around him, he's going to get open looks, no matter who they match up against in the playoffs. So Luke Kennard, 
And, he, and he's making about three threes a game. So it's not like he's shooting a small volume of threes. He's going three for five, four for six often in these games. So he's a big piece for Memphis. Keep an eye on him because he is stretching the floor and making life a lot easier for the guys like Morant and Bank. Luke Kennard, if, if the Grizzlies advance far in the postseason, it's going to be in part because Luke Kennard is killing it from three-point range. So that's something for the Lakers. If, again, assuming this matchup is the Lakers, the Lakers need to keep an eye out. All that said, remember everything I said about the Lakers before, about how hot Austin Reeves has been, about how well Anthony Davis is playing, about how well D'Angelo Russell is shooting the ball. I think the Lakers, if they get matched up here, they can take out Memphis. They believe, the Lakers believe they can win. Memphis does too. But the Lakers, they got a newfound confidence. They're playing with more and more confidence every game. They feel like they have the pieces they need in place. And again, guys are just shooting the ball so well. And we know, and again, LeBron James, this is year 20. We're not comparing him to what we saw, you know, in Cleveland or in Miami. He's not quite what he used to be, but he's still very, very good. You put shooters around LeBron, even at this age, he's going to make it happen. So I'm going to take the Lakers, assuming they get matched up here, to win a tough series against Memphis. But that's one that could absolutely go either way, and that's what makes the Western Conference so much more intriguing than the East in the first round. Getting to the 3-6, Sacramento Kings lighting the beam all season long, making the playoffs for the first time, I believe, since like 2006. Been a long time coming for the Kings. But they are here, and it to, to break a playoff drought that long, the longest playoff drought in major North American sports by being a three seed is extremely impressive. Can't say I saw that coming. I'm not surprised that they made the postseason. I am surprised based on it from the beginning of the season. I'm surprised that they are a three seed. Excellent job by their players. Jared Fox stepping up and having a big season. DeMontis Sabonis being, again, Nikola Jokic light in what he does for the Kings. Uh, we talked about Keegan Murray, who blew away the three-point record. He beat it by 19. <laughs> so 206 threes for, for Keegan Murray this year. Again, that's just one fewer than Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Jalen Williams, and Josh Giddy combined. So uh, Keegan Murray having that type of season for Sacramento in his rookie year, he's only going to get better. He's only going to be, and he's not just a spot of three-point shooter. He can score in different ways. So very dangerous player. The Kings as a whole. Number one in the league in scoring, and they're only 12th in offensive pace. So they're not just running up and down recklessly to get those points. They are just playing good, effective basketball. The Sacramento Kings are the only top four team in the West with a winning record on the road. So that's another, that's another thing that, you know, this is a young team as well. And yet they are winning on the road at a pace that we're not seeing other teams do. And you have Golden State, who is 11 and 30 on the road this year. The only teams that are worse on the road this year, Houston, San Antonio, Detroit, all teams who from day one were chasing the number one pick in the draft. So you don't like the company Golden State is in when it comes to their road performance. Good thing for the Warriors. Andrew Wiggins is back and practicing with the team. Happy to see it. Hope all goes well with his father. Andrew Wiggins still has not played in two months. And we don't know what Andrew Wiggins is going to look like until he's out there. We know he's an integral part to this team. We know he's going to come back to a big role. 
Is he going to be ready to handle it? I don't have a way of answering that question, but I will say this. The fact that it's even a possibility for Wiggins to play, that gives Golden State a different amount of hope. So now we have Golden State four-time champions, defending champions, a lot of that core still there. Going up against the Sacramento Kings team where I believe only Harrison Barnes has postseason experience. Even though the Kings have been great all year, the Warriors have struggled on the road all year. I do think at some point the Warriors' road struggles are going to come to bite them. I just don't think it's going to be in this series. I think somehow, some way, and I don't know exactly how it's going to get done. We know If we know Sacramento has one weakness, it's the fact that they don't defend well. I expect Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson to be able to get their looks. I expect Jordan Poole to have a couple of blow-up games in this series. And I just think that Golden State is going to find a way to just outshoot Sacramento and win this series. But I think this is going to be a highly entertaining series. I'm going to take the Warriors in six. But again, that, that's one I picked with hesitancy because of how poorly Golden State has played on the road. But I'm counting on the Warriors' experience to override some of what we've seen as far as their lack of road production all year long. And then last, we get to a series that's, as far as I'm concerned, if Paul George was available, this would be worthy of a conference finals. When you talk about the Phoenix Suns going up against the Los Angeles Clippers. The Suns are 8-0 when Kevin Durant plays. Now, I do have to throw the caveat in that during those eight games, the only team that made the playoffs without the play-in that the Suns have beaten is the Nuggets. And they beat the Nuggets without Nikola Jokic. So the level of competition hasn't been all that great for Phoenix when Kevin Durant plays. But 8-0 nonetheless. Again, a seamless transition for Kevin Durant to work his way into that lineup. And you can see that it's an infectious confidence that Kevin Durant has given the team. Devin Booker is averaging over 30 points a game on 53% shooting. Again, ridiculous for a guard since Kevin Durant's debut. And Kevin Durant missed a lot of games with a sprained ankle, so I'm counting those games. So even when Kevin Durant's been out, Devin Booker has turned it up to another level. And Booker's had a great season all around, but he's gone to another level since Kevin Durant got there, whether Durant's been in the lineup or not. He just looks like he's reached a new level of confidence that we haven't seen from him. And again, if Booker's going to be playing at this level, you already know Kevin Durant, as far as I'm concerned, the most complete scorer we've ever seen in the NBA. You put those two together, that duo is good enough to beat just about anybody. Do I have concerns about the Suns' death? Yes. Uh, Terrence Ross was brought in to be part of what fixed some of that death. Terrence Ross in his last 15 games, shooting under 40% from the field, 32% from three-point range. That's not what you signed him for. Terrence Ross is going to have to step up and be much better than he has been over the last month or so of the season in order for the Suns to maximize what they can do. Uh, that's the one thing that's going to be a concern with the Suns the entire postseason. What is the depth going to do? Uh, as far as the Clippers go, I just I think that Paul George is hurt because if Paul George was playing, this series would be, I would look forward to this series as much as any series probably in the entire postseason. That's how good I think this series would have been if both teams are showing up at full strength, which would include Paul George being out there. It doesn't sound like Paul George is going to be back for this series. He's definitely been ruled out for at least the beginning of this series. I don't think he's going to be back in time for this series. And so with the Clippers, the question becomes, again, you know what Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi Leonard is one of those guys. We already know what he's going to do. We, we've seen enough of a resume. People just need to accept that Kawhi Leonard is an elite postseason player. 
what is everybody else on this team going to do? What this team needs is for Russell Westbrook to play the way he's played the last nine games. The last nine games, Paul George has been out during those games. So since Paul George has been injured, Russell Westbrook, yes, Russell Westbrook is averaging 19 points on 52% shooting from the field and 46% on threes. I said Russell Westbrook is shooting 46% on threes over his last nine games. It feels like it could be a little fool's gold. I say that is the biggest Russell Westbrook supporter there is. Well, second biggest. I know somebody who's a little, little bigger than me. But anyway, if Russell Westbrook shoots anything like this, and I think it's unrealistic to expect 52% from the field, 46% on threes in the, pro, in the postseason. But if it's anything close to this, if it's 47% from the field and 39% on threes, then the Clippers have a chance to win this series. By the way, when Westbrook got to the Clippers, they lost their first five games with Russell Westbrook and everybody laughed. And at five games in, the same people who wanted to give Luka Doncic an entire year to work it out with Kyrie Irving, after five games said, you know, Russell Westbrook's the worst pickup that any team has made this year. The Clippers in their last 16 games, still with Russell Westbrook, in case you didn't know, 11-5. and five. So all of a sudden, that noise is starting to go away some. And I just hope that it keeps up in the postseason. The other guy who stepped up, is Norman Powell. And Norman Powell was actually hurt before Paul George got hurt. Uh, he was dealing with a shoulder injury. So Norman Powell's only been back for the last six games. But over the last six games, Norman Powell's averaging 20 points a game and shooting over 50% from the field. So if Westbrook keeps playing like this and Norman Powell keeps playing like this, and all of a sudden the depth for the Clippers starts to look, to look a little better than the depth for the Suns. That said, again, I just can't ignore... Kevin Durant, in the presence that he brings to that lineup. I got to go with, and again, Devin Booker is just playing ridiculous basketball. The one, the one down thing about Kawhi Leonard is he is not the defender he used to be. You can go out, you can get Kawhi Leonard a little bit now. I'm not saying he's a terrible defender, but he's not the defensive player of the year type of guy he was years ago. So with that said, I'm taking the Suns. I'm going to say Phoenix in seven in this series. But I just think I just think this is going to be one of the most fun series of the postseason. And I just hope this series lives up to the hype that I've had in my head for this series. All right, I'll just pick up where you left off with the 4-5 matchup, because why not? Uh, we're already talking about it. Yeah, Phoenix Suns, LA Clippers, just like on the Eastern Conference, this is my favorite matchup uh, for the Western Conference. But I do agree that the Western Conference has a lot more intriguing matchups than the Eastern Conference does. So, um I wish Paul George was healthy. I think that makes it an even better series that the Clippers could win if Paul George was healthy. Um, Paul George, great two-way defender, two-way player. Kawhi Leonard, a great two-way player. And then that's locking up. I'm not going to say locking up, but locking up as much as you can. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant without having to do double teams. Um and then, obviously, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook can handle Chris Paul because Chris Paul will not punk Russell Westbrook in the paint, which is Chris Paul's go-to move in the playoffs. Um, and then Zubak could handle Aiton. I'm not saying that he will lock him down, but I'm just saying if, if Paul George is healthy, the Clippers match up very well with the Suns. Um, I am also concerned about the Suns' depth. Uh, we talked about that after the trade deadline as well. Um 
always got to be concerned with Kevin Durant's health. I know he's back. I know he's healthy now, but you just never know uh, if he's going to slip in a pregame warm-up or what's going to happen with those legs. Uh, that's the one thing about NBA players, man. Once their legs start to go, it's hard for them to ever get their legs back. Um, you can say the same thing with Kawhi ever since the – I forget who slid under him when he was a spur. Um, was it Bogut? Yeah, Zaza Pachulia. Pachulia. Yeah, ever since that, Kawhi Leonard hasn't been the same player. Uh, again, I know he won the chip with Toronto, but that definitely, I feel like for me, Kawhi hasn't been the same player since that three-pointer that uh, Zaza Pachulia slid under him in. Um, but yeah, so I also have the Suns winning this series. I think it could go either way. I think it's going to go seven games. Um, again, if Russell Westbrook plays the way he's been playing to end the regular season... Um, I feel like, and <laughs> Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant matchups doesn't even have to be in the playoff. Just matchups are always amazing. So I feel like this is going to be no different. Um, I'm going to love to see Russell Westbrook's, uh, intensity that he brings to every game. Normally at, at a thousand for playing Kevin Durant. Um, <laughs> I cannot wait for that. I think Kawhi Leonard, even though he's normally quiet and doesn't really, do much. I think he's going to be hyped up for this series. Um, and the Clippers, you know, they just find ways to win. I, th- I think missing Kennard for Eric Gordon is a, was a bad trade as well. I agree with you there. Um, but Eric Gordon does have a lot of playoff experience. Um, so that might come into help. And he's another bench piece. So, you know, just the Clippers have a deeper bench than the Suns. Uh, but the Suns have Kevin Durant. And I agree with you. I think he's the most seamless and effortless scorer we've ever seen. Um, You don't see too many seven-foot dudes being able to dribble, get to their spot, and hit a three with efficiency like Kevin Durant. Um, I don't think we've ever seen a scorer like him. I don't know if we'll ever see another one like him, but he is very seamless and effortless. That's how he fit in with the Warriors so easily when he went there. That's how he's fit in with the Nets when he went there. That's how he fit in with the Thunder, and that's how he fits in with the Suns now that he's with the Suns. So... Um, and, and Booker, it's helped Booker up because Booker's no longer getting double teamed where he has to cry about being double teamed. Um, <laughs> so that's really helped Booker's game out as well. And then Chris Paul, Chris Paul hit like seven or eight threes the, the other day. So, I mean, it just, it's, it's helping everyone out that there's a score as good as Kevin Durant. Now, if Leonard can play anywhere, the level he played when he was playing LeBron James in the heat, which he can't, that was eight years ago now, nine years ago, but if he can get to 80% of that defensive level, um, the Clippers will have a chance to, to win this series. If they do not have to double-team double, double team Kevin Durant um, and they can double-team Devin Booker, and, and again, I think Zubac matches up well, and then they also have Plumlee now, they both can be bodies thrown at Aiton. Um, the Clippers can have a chance. It's, it's just going to be, can Leonard stay with, KD and also produce offense that the Clippers are going to need for him to produce. Um, and I just don't think he's going to be able to do it over four games that they have to win. So I do have the Suns winning this series. Um, and then we'll just fan out. So you got the Kings and the Golden State Warriors at the three, six, um, like the beam, Mike Brown. I've been hyping him up all year. Uh, he definitely should win coach of the year. In my opinion. Um, I really, really hope he does. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't think I had the Kings making the playoffs uh, to start the season. Um, 
I'm not surprised they made the playoffs after the way some of these teams fell apart. But, um, you know, Sabonis has been really, really good addition for them. Herder's been a really good addition for them. Uh, Malik Monk has rejuvenated his career with them um, coming off the bench. And just, they're just they just give him the greenest of green lights. Um, and then, obviously, Darren Fox playing at an all-star level. Um, yeah, the, the team plays no defense, as you said, but they score really, really well. So, uh, like what we said the Mavericks would have needed to do to win games, the Kings are actually doing. They're outscoring everyone, essentially. Um, so, uh, for me, though, uh, I, I don't think it's a sweep. I don't. I think it will be a close series. I just... I do understand that Golden State was really, really bad on the road. They did a lot better on the road down the stretch. Uh, at one point, I think they were seven and like twenty-eight. They ended up eleven and thirty. So, I mean, they did have a winning record down the stretch on the road, if you want to call it that. Um, I just, I just have to go with. We went against Golden State last year in the playoffs, and they proved us wrong. I am not going to bet against them in the first round against the Kings. I think Curry and Thompson will get it done. We'll see if Wiggins comes back for the playoffs. I know he's back practicing, as you said. Um, what Wiggins will show up, we don't know. Um, I just will never bet against uh, Steph Curry and, and Game 6 Clay uh, come playoff time. I just think they can... They're the two best shooters we've ever seen, and they'll just, they can get hot at any moment and... and put up 40 points on you in by the second quarter and you're just like what happened so um i think the kings it's a great story uh, they won the division they they got the third seed they broke the playoff drought uh, i think it's something great for them to build on i just don't know if they have a steph curry clay thompson caliber type of player on their team and i love sabonis and fox uh, i think they're great players um i just i just will have to go with the experience of golden state um Going to the 2-7, again, I had the Lakers beating the Timberwolves in the play-in, so it would be Memphis against L.A. Um, I think this is the matchup the Lakers want uh, being in the seventh seed. Um, I think the Lakers could beat the Nuggets, too, if they ended up being the eighth seed. Um, but I think Memphis has gotten under everyone's skin and rubbed everyone wrong <laughs> this season. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, there's that viral clip of, of LeBron being like, that's the last one you get, right? Whenever they're messing with him, uh, at the free throw line. So, uh, and, and so I think, uh, I'm with you, Julius. I think if the Lakers do end up the seventh seed and they play Memphis, I think Lakers win the series. I think LeBron realizes he doesn't have many years left. I think him missing games before the playoff run is going to do wonders for his, body and aging and 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 as long as he doesn't re-aggravate the leg injury um i think getting that rest uh kind of like they did before the playoff run in the bubble uh is going to do is going to do wonders for the for the lakers uh him being more rested than normal because he sat out uh some games uh going into the playoff run and then, as you said, D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves and, and all those guys have stepped up big time. Austin Reeves was averaging like 10 free throws a game or something wild over the last like 10 games or something. Like He's just been getting to the free throw line. Uh, and if that type of aggressive play continues with LeBron and AD on the court, and as long as AD stays healthy and LeBron stays healthy, uh, the Lakers can make a run in the West. Again, the West is so – there's no top-heavy team in the West like we have in the East – um, and I think any team 
one through seven because I don't think the Timberwolves, Pelicans, or Thunder could make a serious run, but I think anyone one through seven in the West could come out of the West, which is why I'm so excited for NBA playoffs to finally start. Um, and then with the additions that the Lakers made at the trade deadline with Russell, Beasley, and Vanderbilt, I think those are good, high-energy guys coming off the bench that can get rebounds, play defense, do the things that maybe some of these other guys don't want to do. And then as we saw when LeBron James was out, Anthony Davis with those guys, uh, they were winning games still. Anthony Davis was the New Orleans Anthony Davis, the one that we all think is a top-five player in the NBA, um, or people should think that still. Um, I know going to play on a LeBron James team, people place the blame on everyone around LeBron besides LeBron, but um, Anthony Davis, when healthy, is a top-five player. It's always the win healthy part, right? So um, if you get top-five AD, with an, even with how old LeBron is, year 20 LeBron, this team is dangerous. Um, and the injuries of Memphis, uh, I think, to Clark and some of their other guys, and as you said, Stephen Adams, um, I think that's going to hurt them with who's going to play AD because Jackson does get into foul trouble, as you already mentioned. Um, I think he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year, uh, but I, I think you need more bodies to throw at, at, at Anthony Davis when he's on and healthy. So um, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And then Anthony Davis can go to work on the block on Jaron Jackson Jr. If, if he wants to. So hopefully we keep seeing the Lakers go through Anthony Davis more, even though LeBron's back in the playoffs. I think it'll do wonders for them in the playoffs, uh, especially without Rudy Gobert. Uh, and it's only going to be Cat down there. So um, we'll see what happens in the play-in. But again, I would have the Lakers beating the Grizzlies. I think John Morant and Desmond Bain will do what they do. But as you said, who's going to step up for them? Uh, will Jaron Jackson give you double doubles uh, or will he be in foul trouble? Because if he's in foul trouble, you don't really have any more bigs on that team. And then and then Dylan Brooks is Dylan Brooks. I don't trust him. Can't trust him in the NCAA tournament at Oregon. Can't trust him. <laughs> Can't trust him with Memphis. Uh, so um, I'm going to go the Lakers over Memphis. And then Denver I had playing New Orleans, which I think would be a really bad matchup for Denver, honestly. Um, especially with Valanchunas and, and Jokic going at each other. I'm with you. I, I'm concerned about Jokic uh, on the injury report. Again, it could have just been, you know, managing, load management, but I don't know. It's, it is it is concerning. Um, I would still have Denver beating New Orleans because I had New Orleans coming out. I would still have Denver beating them. I just think their, their, their starting five is better than New Orleans starting five. Uh, especially if Zion's not playing, which we know he's at this moment he's not. Um, yeah. Uh, but if if Jokic isn't fully healthy, Denver isn't Denver. You know, so much of their offense, even if he's not scoring, is going through Jokic. He is the facilitator. He is the point guard essentially. Uh, and that's no shot at Jamal Murray. It's just pretty much everything runs through through Jokic. He's such a great passer. Uh, he's a good scorer. He's an efficient scorer. Um, he's a good rebounder. Uh, you know, which is weird because he doesn't jump, essentially. You know, everyone makes fun of the fact that he doesn't jump. But he's such a good rebounder, passer, you know, scorer. If he's not 100%, Denver, I don't think, is making it very far in the playoffs. Um, and I think it would be a tough series for them against New Orleans uh, just because, again, Ingram is a good scorer. And then, you know, Michael Porter Jr., uh, he's so... Michael Porter Jr., which is why we thought it was a steal when Denver got him at 14 in the draft when they drafted him, but he's just so 
inconsistent for me that like, he shows flashes of the guy that we thought could be at Missouri when he was there. And then there's times where you're just like, what is he doing? He's, he's not playing any defense. He's not, he, if he, I feel like when he's not active on offense and he's and his shots, not falling, I feel like he doesn't try on the other end either, which it's like, you're like a six, nine, six, 10, four, like go do something. You know what I mean? I, I do like the Aaron Gordon move from last year. I think he's now fit in seamlessly with the team who had, you know, a full year. And he knows his role. Um, Jamal Murray being healthy is going to be big for them. Uh, but I am worried about Jokic's health because, again, not so much of their offense and so much of what they do runs through him. Uh, Thomas Bryant did not fit in any type of role for them that we thought maybe he could. Um, but, you know, I I think they get past the eighth seed, and then after that, depending on how the playoff shakes out, uh, it's going to be very, very interesting for the Nuggets. I'm with you. I think it's the first time in a while that the one seed in the Western Conference – or even the Eastern Conference, where people don't really have them knowing if how far they're going to make it. You know, don't even have them in the finals of the Eastern or Western Conference. It's it's, it's a, but that's just how you know stuck the the Western Conference has been all year. You know, it's just, it's just been so tight all year that there's really not one team that you're just like, man, this team is so dominant. They definitely are going to make the 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 finals in the Western Conference. So. Um, again, I got Denver beating the eight seed. I think the Lakers upset the Grizzlies. Uh, I got Golden State, I guess, quote unquote, upsetting the Kings. And then, um, I think the Suns are going to pull it out against the Clippers just because Paul George isn't healthy. But I also would not be surprised if the Clippers do win that series. I think it's going to go seven. All right. So that's our little breakdown of the uh, NBA playoffs and kind of what's going to happen in these scenarios. We're going to give you our, uh, early NBA Finals predictions. Again, this is not knowing the health and status of everyone. It's not going to be round by round. It's just who we think uh, could come out of the East and come out of the West for uh, the NBA Finals. So, Julius, I'll let you go first. All right. So, if you were paying kind of close attention, I kind of gave away my Finals prediction when I was talking about my breakdown of how I think the first round is going to play out. In the Eastern Conference, again, I just think that when we talked about how the top three teams in the East are way ahead of everybody else, I just think that the Bucks are in a class of their own. And again, if Chris Middleton is remotely healthy, I think it's going to be the Bucks. I don't want to say cruising through because I think they're going to have a challenge in the Eastern Conference Finals, but I think it's going to be the Bucks making a statement on the way to getting to the Finals. Uh, and even if Middleton can't make it through the postseason, I still think Milwaukee is the best that the East has to offer. So I'm, I'm hoping Middleton can be reasonably healthy, but if not, either way, I'm going to go with the Bucks winning the East. In the West, again, I am looking at too many players stepping up for the Lakers to bet against them. I think the Lakers have found the mix that they want, even if it's not necessarily a, quote, better mix, it is the mix that they want, which means they're going to play together better. You're seeing the right guys take the right shots. You're seeing LeBron James look more comfortable than he's looked as a Laker in the last couple of years, as far as I'm concerned. And you combine that with the fact that, again, when you look at the top of the West, nobody fears Denver, Memphis, Sacramento. So if you have to go through those teams, the Lakers aren't going to be concerned. The other thing to keep in mind is the Warriors still loom. And even though they're 
the Warriors are a six and the Lakers are a seventh, we could be looking at a Warriors-Lakers six-seven matchup in the second round. I trust the Lakers' ability to go into San Francisco and win more than I trust the Warriors' ability to go into Los Angeles and win. So even though the Warriors would actually have the home court for that series, I think the Lakers could steal the game, and I'm not completely sure the Warriors can steal one back with the way they've played on the road for most of the season. So I am taking the Lakers to come from the seven seed, to come from the play-in tournament, and get to the finals. So that, that is my finals prediction for now. Los Angeles Lakers, Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, my bet for outright winner would love that. I hope the Lakers make the finals. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, yeah, so I know this is not going to be fun for listeners, but um, I trust the Bucks the most to make it out of the East as well. Um Boston, again, could give him a run, but if Robert Williams isn't healthy, I don't and, – and Giannis almost beat them pretty much single-handedly by himself last year. <laughs> so um, right. if Middleton is remotely healthy, as you said, um, but this team is a different Bucks team than last year in the playoffs as well. When Middleton went down last year, it was much more of a blow to this team than it was now. Um, I, I just think – I just think Milwaukee, like you said, is just on a different level. Uh, again, that's nothing to take away from the Celtics. I think the Celtics are a great team in dead, but if Robert Williams is is not healthy, um, I, I would worry about that matchup. Uh, and I just don't trust the Sixers. Uh, there's just games that they've lost this year where you just kind of look at look at it and you're like, why? How? How did you lose that game? You know what I mean? And then, again, and if Embiid gets quote-unquote shut down, you you just don't see those other guys step up when when they need to. So I'm a, I'm a I'm worried about the Sixers making it all the way to the finals and getting out of the East. I'm with you with the Bucks. Um, and then the Western Conference final for me, I mean, the Western Conference uh, guy team coming out to make it to the finals. I, it's a little tougher for me. Um, there's three teams I'm looking at, uh, and that's the Suns, the Warriors, and the Lakers. I'm with you. I think the Lakers could easily. I don't want to say easily, but I think they could make it out of the Western Conference and make it to the finals. Um, again, I'm worried about AD's health. Um, I, I just feel like he's always one sprained ankle away from not playing any games. It just concerns me. Um, and the Suns, I, I like their lineup. Um, I'm just also concerned about their depth. So right now, because I didn't do it last year, I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to pick Golden State to go into the finals uh, out of the West again. I just think that if Wiggins comes back and can even remotely play the way he played last year uh, and how he played defense on Luka when they needed him to uh, and, and the second scoring option he became for Steph Curry and the Warriors, if he can even remotely play 70 to 80 percent that way again he doesn't need to do it i don't think he needs to do it in the first round uh but come second round and then the western conference finals if he can get back to to basketball shape and get back to how he played in last year's playoffs um i think this team is on a different level uh and i think a lot of their woes on the road and and just throughout the season has been the absence of him uh again he's another scorer rebounder facilitator for you uh that you don't really see 
and I think he was kind of an unsung hero last year. Everyone was talking about Steph a lot, but um, you know, I, th- I think the reason why they kind of rolled through the Mavs uh, was because of of Wiggins. So um, I'm gonna go Golden State. I'm not confident in it at all. I just have been burned by them too many times <laughs> to, to 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 not believe anymore. I think it's going to be a very fun Western Conference. Uh, again, I can see anybody making it to the finals, uh, one through seven. But um, I, I my eyes right now are again. It's all going to come down to health for me. Is it Suns, Warriors, and Lakers? I, I just I just again, it's all about health, and I can't predict. In you know the future, but I I worry about AD's health and even LeBron's at this point because he's had a lot of lower leg injuries recently, ankles and knees and things like that. And same with KD, you know I worry about his health, uh, playing all the minutes that he's going that they all these guys are going to play come playoff time. So, um, I would go with the Warriors if I if I had to just hope which team I like which team I think is going to probably stay the healthiest and and are getting a huge piece back in Wiggins uh that's the only reason I would go with the Warriors right now but again things can change and we'll discuss this as the rounds progress as always thanks for listening in this case thanks for listening to our NBA postseason analysis I remember we have a Facebook page at two guys four balls you can follow that check out uh some material there you can also follow us at Two Guys Four Balls on Twitter. Feel free to inbox us anytime. We'll get to your questions. We'll address whatever topics you want us to. Appreciate the support. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Two Guys Four Balls podcast.